This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. First, a shout from the episode sponsor, the Crassberry Outdoor Center. Crassberry is excited to kick off the 2020 season. So excited, they are offering 30% off select early season dates. Go to crassberry.com backslash nnpod to save 30% off of your trailside lodging, including bountiful, fresh local food, and all your skiing on the center's man-made and natural loops. They currently have 25K open. That's crassberry.com backslash nnpod, and make sure you enter that all in lowercase. Okay, back to the episode. We know the World Cup is just days away with an opening sprint in Ruka, Finland. After watching Devin Kershaw last year commentate on Eurosport as he assisted with some of the 2019 World Championship coverage, we knew he would be a go-to for a World Cup preview. Kershaw is based out of Lillehammer, Norway, and as many of you know, he is a former Canadian standout skier. We spoke to Kershaw last week as he was studying for a university exam back in Oslo. We start off the conversation with his thoughts on the unfolding fluoro wax debate. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about, and I know the wax issue has been like a big thing here in the U.S. in terms of the EPA starting to enforce regulations on certain fluorinated compounds. And I know that's also been a topic in Norwegian sport. Living in that country, is that something people are discussing? You know, not regularly, but like it's on people's minds? Oh, for sure. I, I think, it, 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 to be honest, I feel like it kind of comes in waves in, in a way, which is, seems kind of just seems kind of strange. But um, for sure, for sure it's discussed. I mean, the, the, the biggest problem is... is they work so well <laughs> you know so that that's what gets discussed a lot is uh you know there's a lot of companies swix being the biggest one here in norway but uh waxing companies they've been doing a lot of testing for the last half decade at least to try and find something better and they're just not able to just not able to find anything faster and this this creates an issue because well, I mean, we could get into the whole ethic of it on, on the lower level uh, of competition. Uh, that's one thing. But on the highest level of competition, I mean, like people are just going to people are going to use the products that give the fastest skis. And man, uh, there's going to be a lot of inertia there. I think if you try and ban fluorocarbons at the elite level, at the World Cup level, I I really really feel. You already have trust issues uh, in high-level skiing right now with uh, some countries, and our sport sadly has a spotted doping history with certain nations and stuff. And uh, man, I'm, if you all of a sudden say that you can't use fluorinated waxing, I'm just not totally sure. Like a Norwegian ski team would believe that the Russian ski team aren't using it, or vice versa, or the Americans and the Canadians, or they, you know what I mean. It's going to be a complicated time with that, but it, but I mean I think what is the most complicated with the rule changes, like you said, is what happens when companies in within Europe or the United States are banned altogether from producing this sort of product. Um, then what's going to happen? You're going to have a whole bunch of. Is it going to be like? Is it going to be like a meth lab or like a MDMA, like a 
pill press lab where people are making this crazy fluorinated stuff in their basements. I don't know. It's hard to know. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's going to create an issue. All right. So on the World Cup, and we can kind of take this a couple of different ways, but one is holistically, we'll kind of think about there's a lot of racing this year and it is a non-championship year, meaning there's no world championships and there's no Olympics. Um, and I'm curious from your perspective, you know, how did you approach those types of seasons and what might be different entering a season like that compared to a season where you may be tuning up for an Olympics or world champs? I always love the, the non-championship years. I mean, I, I mean, the Olympic gold medal, like an individual Olympic gold medal, of course, like reigns supreme in the eyes and hearts of North American athletes just because, I don't know, we're conditioned that way. But, um, but you know, like the overall World Cup is, man, what a competition, really. Because it's a war of attrition, and you can't have you you, you you cannot have that many races that are sub suboptimal if you want to compete in that competition. And in a season like this, with such so many races, and there's not that many people that can compete to win the globe, but those that are, it's it's like it's full gas and high pressure from day one to to the end. I mean, a missed weekend with sickness or uh, falling flat at the Tour de Ski, uh, these are these have like dire drastic effects on a on a season where all the best years are gunning to win the globe so it is the those 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 years without championships are the kind of marquee years for who is the best skier in the world really because i mean it's one thing to be the best skier in the world on a day and i mean i'm not taking anything away from that i think it's an amazing accomplishment and sure that's that's something pretty special there's a ton of racing this year i think off the top of my head maybe something like 40 races that's ridiculous <laughs> yeah right like does that number sound kind of yeah like you said like kind of crazy yeah it is or okay why is that i mean and again i sort of loaded question there no no it's not that loaded i mean i i think like i understand in, in some ways like i understand that um when there's no championship you can really fit a lot a lot in and but at the same time when you do that it, you're really riding that fine balance between <laughs> like a lot of these competitions are going to be watered down because you can't be at the top of your game from 40 races throughout an entire season traveling to north america traveling to europe i mean it's just it's just not going to happen so you're going to see some of these you're going to see some of these competitions and some of these competition weekends that are they're going to be thin like really thin and quite frankly i don't think that's I don't think that's great for the growth of, of the of the sport internationally. I think we already are struggling. I mean, there's a lot of articles written about that. There's a lot of discussions that uh, Norway, for example, dominates, or Norway, Sweden, and Russia dominate cross-country skiing, and you're losing interest, and there's some problems with holding interest or sponsor growth and this sort of thing, and then is the answer to put even more races and then that really makes the biggest teams have even that much more of an advantage because they have deeper teams. You know what I mean? So it's like their B team can still win. Um, whereas like if the U S needs to rest, uh, one race weekend and Canada aren't even sending people to some race weekends and other teams as well are in the same boat, then all that's going to happen is it's going to make that dominance team even more complete. And uh, I don't know. It's, yeah, so I think I think there's too many races, uh, no question. Uh, the, there's too many races, and I think we could structure the race weekends a little better. Um, not we always compare to Bathlon, and that's I know not the best thing to do, but 
how Bathlon have more competitions in single venues. I think you could have, you know, you could have three, four races in five days kind of thing. Let's say three races in five days and then have take a weekend off here and there and make those World Cup weekends kind of mean more in a way. So they wouldn't be watered down. So everybody would show up and compete. So, uh, yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that way. I mean, FIST has a very, very strange uh, organizational structure when it comes to uh, the World Cup circuit. I, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, 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 just, it's a ridiculous structure. So there's when you have those when you have those sorts of politics, of course, certain countries um, want to have want to have competitions in their countries. And then when there's no when there's no uh, Olympics, then it seems to me that Fist kind of goes like, okay, everyone, you get one, you get a race, you get a race, you get a race, trying to keep everybody happy. And what ends up happening is having this calendar with like 40 races on it, which is, yeah, it just means some races will be, will be like World Cup lights, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> no, I do, I, I do know. And I know that like, you know, depending on the country that can serve an athlete well, because, you know, maybe you're on the cusp on the U S squad and it's a better opportunity to score world cup points and a yeah, lot of the yeah, criteria, sure. you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I see that like it can really kind of make or break a, an athlete's opportunity to make a team for that last rung, like crashing at that last rung of the ladder that's oiled in butter. <laughs> maybe it's a little stickier. So you're kind of stick to that last rung. But if you really want international success, I mean, getting a top 15 in a competition that has eight red group skiers in it, you know what, when the world championships come to town or the Olympics come to town or home and Cologne comes to town, like, Oh, you're 15th at a race that had seven world cups, uh, seven red group skiers, seven or eight red group skiers in it. You're not going to be able to hide when 30 red group skiers show up, you know, and then you'll be 43rd, just like every other weekend. So, so you, you know what I mean by that? Like, I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it's a great development tool to be perfectly frank. Right. Okay. So let, let's go through period one here and then we can kind of break it down like one, holistically talk about period one venues race format and then men and women yeah i mean i think it's a really traditional start to the season and you know we talked earlier about how many races there are this year but period one to the world cup is is like every other year whether this championship or not it's 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 not too much racing in period one it's a good mix of um of different formats and different races which i think is which i think is a which is good i, I also think like having the relay back in Lillehammer to have a relay to start the year. It, it's a great way to start a, start a season and build some excitement. And you saw, you said it yourself. I mean, how exciting was that women's relay at world championships it was amazing. And, um, to have a, to have a race like that early in the year, that's great. So I, I think it's, uh, it's a good mix of races for sure. I mean, the sprint weekend, Planitza, is it worth doing a sprint weekend like that just before the tour to ski in some ways? Yes. It gives athletes that are focusing on the tour to ski overall a chance to train and skip that weekend uh, and gives the sprinters one more, one more real good effort before, before the tour to ski happens. Well, they'll do a few stages and you're in there. So that, so I mean, that is good in a way, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good mix. I mean, there won't be that many surprises in period one. There never is. Um, everyone just comes in firing on all cylinders because those big teams, if you want to stay on the World Cup, uh, then you have to you have to come out of guns a blazing, or you'll be replaced. And uh, so, the, look to the big teams like Russia and 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 Norway to to start the season off, and the women's team in Sweden, which is just so exciting. I'm really looking forward to following the women's uh, 
the women's side of things. Uh, Sweden has had just such explosive growth now. And with uh, Frida Carlson coming online in the distance events now, when you combine that with the five or six sprinters that uh, Sweden has, their depth is amazing on the Scandinavian Cup circuit as well. Like they're just destroying the Norwegian women on the Scandinavian side, Scandinavian Cup side. So they have they have some other ones in the wings. And I think think a season like this with no championship, it'll be really, really fun to see uh, to see how Sweden progresses. Uh, it's going to be good on the women's side from the depth perspective. But at the same time, Teresa Johug is going to win every distance race this year again. So You think so? <laughs> Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, they're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's, she's, she's a cut above. I mean, she's, yeah. I mean, I think I, I want to say, I think it was a 5k, like the Norwegian track championships. And yeah. She the 10,000. The, oh, the 10,000. Yeah. And yeah. like, in like hokas or something. 3220. Yeah. 3220s, 3220, like heel striking and like the biggest yeah. pair of hookah trainers. It was like, that's the level. So if you're worried about, if you want to know what the capacity needs to be to compete uh, in the women's side of things. It's 32.20 by yourself in hookah training shoes. And you know what she did that morning? Two hours of double pull. Oh, you're kidding. The, the morning of the where she ran 32.20 that evening, 32.21 that evening, in the morning she did two hours of double pulling. And the day before she did a three and a half hour run with her brother. She's a beast. She is a beast and she's served a doping penalty. So there, there is that sort of speculation from people. Yeah. Like you said, she's a beast and that's the bottom line. Oh yeah. Yeah. She, she is, she is a once in a generation talent. And I mean, they don't come around all that often. And, and in sports, sometimes you get, you almost get conditioned that like, oh yeah, like great athletes are dominant but but if you think of tennis if we're living through like in tennis i mean roger federer and nadal i mean go back a hundred years of tennis there's been a, there's been some amazing champions you, you know you have bjorn borg you have mcenroe you have, you have there's so many agassi samperit i mean rod labor like so many but but you know what these two tennis players those two guys like nadal and federer we're, we're totally it's kind of blase. It's like, of course, they're making another final. Oh, yeah, they're winning a Grand Slam here and there. But like, no, no, no. These are the best tennis players that ever lived. <laughs> and and this is this is Teresa. Right. I mean, Teresa right. is in the conversation for the best cross-country skier, man or woman, to ever live. I mean, Mara Bjergen has that crown now. But, I mean, Teresa is, is really, really, like, at an extreme level of professionalism and delivery and training and capacity. And, yeah, she's just at a... She's just at a level that it's unbelievable, but it's it's hard work and it's really impressive the way she does it. So I mean, the women have their work cut out for them if they want to win <laughs> in distance in distance skiing. Sure, and and let's go back a little bit to the to the Swedish women. And I spoke to Ida Ingmar's daughter earlier, maybe I think earlier in the week, but we were discussing kind of that transformation. How all of a sudden it was like they are a power and not only a power, but like they're making a statement at world championships in the relay that they can string together, you know, four athletes and arguably the best sprinter on the, in the world doing the anchor leg and compete with Johan. What do you see from Sweden specifically, or maybe any specific athlete and maybe it's Dina taking the sprint globe again. Yeah. Who are you looking for? For sure, for sure. I mean, like Stina, Stina, but Adolquist too. You know, like uh, Maya Adolquist had a great season last year. 
uh, in the sprints. Um, Sun Ling too was great. Yeah, Stina, uh, Stina probably should win the sprint globe barring something crazy. I think Stina is just so consistent. And um, But I, I'm really excited to see what Frida Carlson can do. I mean, like what Frida, what Frida did at the World Championships, like two individual medals, <laughs> yeah, she's a junior. Right. Like, yep. The last time that's happened was Teresa. She won a bronze medal uh, in Sapporo when she was a junior in a distance event. And quite frankly, I mean, what Frida did at the World Championships last year was like unheralded. It was amazing. So, I mean, it'll be really fun to see her first year in the World Cup and, and see if she can compete with the, with the, the real chiefs of the or like the real beasts of the of the women's side that i mean ingveld and, and teresa proved to be almost untouchable last year in distance races so it'll be it'll be really fun to have steen in uh sorry to have frida in there so so that's the kind of depth i think that's really fun to watch it's like you have you have athletes from sweden from the women's side you have like legitimate metal not just threats but like expected medals in distance and in sprint every single weekend all year long on the women's side like that's exciting that's that's going to be great any thoughts on the american team i mean i know obviously jesse won the gold medal in the team sprint in 2018 and she had a gajillion obligations which i don't blame her for you know fulfilling and taking advantage of but that's a that takes its toll and she still had a great season, but oh yeah, really great. Season. Yeah, and you think about—I mean, I guess we can get to Canada in a bit, in a bit oh, and talk about that. Well, we, <laughs> we don't mean up to you. <laughs> no, we can. Of course, we can. Of course, we can. You've got uh, you know Rosie Brennan coming off a great year, uh, Jesse Diggins, Sadie Bjordensen, Sophie Caldwell. You know, some depth there as well. Oh yeah, no, no. The Americans, the American women have just been—I mean, they've been. Uh, uh, they've been just such a great story and uh, you have to tip your hat to what a great I mean everything looks rosy in in hindsight of course but but I was uh, I was around when they were trying to build that culture and I mean it really started long long ago and you you know you have to really tip your hat to a guy like Pete Bordenberg for getting getting building off like what Tron was doing and uh, when he was there and Pete really went like all in and I mean did Pete Vordenberg did such a great job of like, like building a system. And re, I mean, I mean, it cost him his, I mean, if I mean, he, he stepped away for other reasons as well, but like, I mean, it was energy intensive to do that. I mean, he, he burnt out a bit, but, uh, but uh, then you have guys like a Grover has been there the whole time. Who's done just an amazing job of keeping a level head and steady and passionate the whole way through. And then Matt Whitcomb, I mean, Jesus, uh, that's, Matt's coach of the century, <laughs> like, like the, the dedication, like people just have no concept of what the dedication that, that Matt Whitcomb has done for, for the U.S., for U.S. ski team, for U.S. skiing. Because like, there's years that he takes like 10 days off uh, for a year. And you, 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 it's one thing to find someone that's hardworking. It's another thing to find someone that's hardworking, talented, and capable. And uh, Matt, encompasses all those things and i mean of course the end oh everything matt matt is give him all the accolades he 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 deserves so many accolades just like just like guys like i mean if you want to look like eric flora too you tip your hat to eric flora for building such a great club program that delivers season after season after season after season like 
these are us has some really really quality programs but I, like if we just stick with the us ski team uh i think i really think it it's the it's the foundational shift that happened uh, tron kind of like started the ball rolling and and pete really took that ball and just sprinted till his legs just completely stopped working <laughs> and it burnt him right out and and then guys like matt and grover and those kind of guys like we're just They've just done such a phenomenal, and fish too. Look what fish has done on the development side of things. So they're doing a lot, a lot of things right from uh, from the coaching standpoint. And when that coincides with some really great talents that come through the program, um, like Sophies, the Sophies and the Jessies, uh, they would they would succeed. Uh, and Sadie, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they're those kind of talents are going to succeed pretty much whoever is running it, but not, not week in, week out like they're doing now. So it's, uh, it's really, really exciting on the women's side. And of course, Jesse, yeah, sure. You know, there was a lot of talk that she took a lot of, um, you know, that she took a lot on after the Olympics and this, that, and the other, but you know what? She's also the kind of person that get takes a lot of energy from that. She gets a lot of energy back from that. She really, she loves being out there. She loves putting herself out there and, and, um, you know, I know she was really disappointed she didn't get a medal, but go back and look at that fourth place finish she had in Seifel because it was a beautiful race. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a, it was a gutsy performance. And you know, some days you're fourth. Sorry, that's how it is. But if you're fourth in the 30k against uh, against some skiers like that, and then you know, Jesse was not expecting that a junior was going to be having the week of her life. You know, take the junior out of there and she's third. So in the 30k, not in the sprint, like in the 30. So, so, so I mean. Uh, for sure, it's going to be really exciting. The, the, the U.S. women have just been such a, just such an amazing storyline. The last, I mean, it's going on like six, seven years now. Like with the whole team, I'm saying, and uh, and yeah, it's so. Of course, I'm thrilled to cheer them on. I can't wait to, to see how how that plays out. But I mean, you can expect it, it's not even putting pressure on them at this point. I mean, like you can expect you can expect podium finishes this year, like every year. So that that does. I mean. One of the things that resonated with me when you were talking about were these kind of selfless, you know, essentially burning all of their energy. And you brought oh. up, you know, Pete Vordenberg as an example. And I know, like, right, like Pete, he takes it to the limit. Oh, um, yeah. Well, it begs the question for me. It's like, okay, so I know that Canada has had a little bit of a revolving door tr- being gentle here. And so who's that person? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a funding issue. But, you know, who's that? Yeah, but that's the thing. There was a funny issue in the U.S. too. I mean, Pete was making no money. Matt made no money. He probably still makes no money. <laughs> like, I mean, like, so, so, so uh, it's not a, it's not a fun, it's not just funding. But, uh, you know, Canada, Canada has been uh, tricky, but we, we also went through the same, similar kind of thing. I mean, you know, you can say what you want about Dave Wood, uh, but he, he did an amazing job while he was with the skills he had. I mean, like he, he built a great program with nothing. And it was in that, it was in that kind of like, I'm going to just go burn myself out. Essentially, <laughs> like there's no days off to what I do. And that's what, that's what he did. And then Justin too, for a few years there, I mean, like J- Justin, like was a haggard, ragged, like really ragged. And the reason he was like that is because he was working like 18 hours a day and being a dad and being like, I mean, he went full, full full gas the the problem has been maybe perhaps ah, it's hard to know what like what everything is but but it's just like you don't have a a, a good support crew i mean pete even though he was like that as well like working crazy hard and going like 
all, all in. Uh, he also had Matt there, who was also going all in with him, and Grover, who was also like going deep. And whereas, like in Canada, like who did Justin have beside him going that level of hard? Nobody. <laughs> or you know, Louis, Louis for sure. He, he, but but Louis is. Um, had a lot to do in, in the east of Canada, and Canada's a big country too. So it's, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's uh, I don't know, it, it's it, uh, not a great situation in Canada. But um, I think I think right now, like Eric Broughton, the young Norwegian that they brought over there, I, I, I really have high hopes for him. He's really passionate, and he's really driven, and he's going to bring a new energy. And he's committed. He's not like some of the other Norwegian coaches, which I all thought were great. Personally, I, I thought they were the Norwegian coaches we've had have been great. It, it was a, more of a we had a administration issue that was some major disconnect there. But um, from from Broughton's uh, Eric Broughton's perspective, I mean, he's living in Camor. He's living there. He's not he's not flying back and forth. Like he's he he lives in Canada. So it, and he's young. He's really excited and he's committed. And also Joel Jakes, who's who's taken on the interim or like the high performance manager position uh, right now. I mean, you, you're going to be hard pressed to find a guy that works harder than than Joel and is more passionate about cross country skiing. And he and he comes with a huge depth of experience from from being a technician uh, at the show uh, for a decade. So so I mean, it's I think they're in a they're definitely in a re- re- rebuilding phase. But uh, there's some seriously there's some structural they have to they have to go back and look at the blueprint and maybe you know if either tweak the blueprint or, or start drawing new blueprints and and uh but then having some continuity there and i think that's if you want to compare the american system to the canadian system and that like i think it's been really really great to see what that blueprint i get justin was involved in that too but like grover justin pete matt Pat Casey was there for a brief time too. I mean, like that, that blueprint that was put together and like toiled with is still being progressed now, right? They're, they're tweaking it. You always ha- you have to tweak that. You can't just you can't just be complacent because then as soon as you be complacent in high level sport, we know we've seen that movie. <laughs> you know what happens. But um, I think Canada just needs to really, really think about putting together some sort of like blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, spending the time, and and then, yeah, then you just gotta cross your fingers that. And I, I have high faith that that Broughton can be that kind of guy that 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 carries that and Joel together, like that. Them, those two together can really carry that forward. Um, but it, but it, what's hard is like it's hard for Joel. It's hard for for Eric to to do that kind of big picture thinking and planning and also just like bail the boat from water you know what i mean it's one thing to plan a big beautiful boat but if you are trying to plan the boat while you're floating on the ocean and it's all just a bunch of logs you know somebody has to use the twine to keep the logs together so the raft doesn't sink because what good's the plan if you're in the bottom of the sea (laughs) right right Okay, so let's think about the the guys side a, a bit. Uh, I'm looking at the overall here from last season, and we're looking. You know, it's uh, in the top six, five Norwegians. In the top eight, you throw in. You know, there's a Russian who was second. Bolshinov was second overall, but you got a couple of Italians in seventh and eighth. Sunby, a Norwegian, and Ustagov, who uh, was tenth. So. I, let's start near the bottom. I'm kind of curious. It sounds like Sunby is still committed to the sport. Oh yeah. 
Oh, for sure. I mean, Sunby is, man, he's an Iron Man. Like, uh, yeah, he's another one of those guys that can just handle just like an insane amount of training and he brings a level of intensity to everything he does that is, no one would describe uh, Sunby as chill. Sunby's no chill. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's intense and he's an intense guy and he's passionate and committed and you know, but I see him more now, to be honest, as like he'll come up for a few races of the year. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins a race or two in the winter. But I think the years, the years of seeing him dominant on the overall stage, those are done. Sport keeps evolving in how Klebo and Bolshinov win the overall now or compete for the overall. I mean, Sunby just doesn't stand a chance for, for taking a globe anymore his time has passed and what a time it has been because it's been amazing and you saw last year world champion in the 15k so he still has the ability to win races and absolutely he's a threat to win any distance race but but uh week in week out chasing the points not gonna happen to Sunday for the overall no are we still looking at a year in your eyes where yeah it is a a Klebo Bolshinov show where you know I'm just looking here uh, Klebo won the overall. He was ranked ninth in the distance uh, standings in first in sprint. But obviously, you know, points-wise was tops. And Bolshinov, 100 points behind overall, but uh, first in distance and second in sprint. So uh, you, you see a flip-flop at all there? Oh, it'll be really interesting to me. I mean, Bolshinov is... That was quite the little season he put together last year. And... If it wasn't for just the utter dominance of Claybo sprinting, uh, both tactically and physically, I mean, you got to think there's going to be a time that uh, that he that he competes that he's going to take. He he will win a globe. Uh, Bolshinov's going to win a globe one day. I mean, it's just a matter of when. And I I think the storyline for me with with Claybo is is you know he went up to the distance team this year. And there's a lot of guys on the, or the all around, I guess, the all around guys, they're called in the, the Norwegian team. And the sprint team is, has had a lot of great success of nurturing uh, champions. I mean, like Finn has thrived uh, under the sprint team. Claybo has won the overall <laughs> the last two years in the sprint globe, his first year on the sprint team. So this change of going up to the distant, uh, the all round team, it'll be interesting. I mean, he, and I understand he wants to, he wants to improve his distance skiing. He, a couple years ago, he was very strong in distance last year, not quite as strong as he has been. Uh, and he, and he sees that he sees Bolshinov coming and he sees the future too. And he wants to, he wants to win gold medals in the distance races too at the championships and, and keep uh, competing for the overall. And, and so he, he feels like he has to adapt and, but it's, uh, the all-around team for Norway is, uh, it's a, oof, the, it's the, those guys have really high capacity and you saw what happened to Finn Hogg and Crow going up to the distance team or the all-around team. I keep calling it the distance team. That's my bad. Um, and, and just getting like shattered. So you had a, you had a guy that was second in the tour to ski and won the sprint globe and was like a darling of Lottie goes to the all-around team and then is nowhere. You know, so I hope the same fate doesn't happen to Claybo. I don't think it will, but but at the same time, is he going to get that boost right out of the gun like he that he's hoping for? Yeah, let's see. I mean, I'm not so sure, but 
because he's already at such a high level. And then Bolshunov, I mean, Bolshunov is just a, yeah, like, <laughs> he's crazy. I mean, what can you say? Like, he, you know, everyone says Klebo, 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 but look what Bolshunov did at Homokol. And then, like, even even the way he got second in the 50K um, in uh, Seifeld, or what, yeah, just like, then Chang he was really strong too. I mean, his day will come, and it's going to come soon. I mean, will it be this year? Hard to say. Klebo's just so dominant in sprinting. And Bolshinov doesn't have a chance against Klebo in skate sprints. Like, sit down. No way. And, you know, when you're so dominant in in sprints like Klebo is, that helps you win overalls. <laughs> that helps you win globes. So, it'll be a really fun fight, I think. I mean, the Norwegians are going to dominate. The, do- the Norwegians are going to dominate the men's side. That's That's just how it is. Well, I appreciate your time. Any other thoughts? No, I'm really excited. It'll be fun. It's uh, it's always fun to it's always fun to get the season going and watch it. And I still follow the sport closely and pretty pretty involved with it. So it's a it's a beautiful sport. It really is. And I really I hope we can have some surprises in Canada. I really do. There's some, you know, I guess my last thought is like Emily Nishikawa has been training well this year and, and she had some good good races last year as well so it'd be fun and we have got some juniors some young junior men and it's hard to get too crazy excited because they're so young but we have like Remy Drolet and Tom Steven and Zav uh, McKeever and I mean there's some there's some guys in the wings there that like I mean maybe not this year maybe not three years from now but in like five six years it could be another wave coming through the coming through the system so uh, it's been really fun to cheer them on well thanks for taking the time really appreciate it yeah no thanks a lot Thanks for listening, and remember, Crassberry has 25K open for skiing.